0: Hi, guys. I just want to say thank you to Rebel again for allowing the space. This beautiful space that you can see is just stunning. So uh, thank you again for allowing the, the space to, to record for podcast. And you're going to see many of those rooms um, that will be, you know, going around. And it's, they have such fantastic stuff around here. Honestly, they have like these secret little rooms. <laughs> so if you had the chance, just come and visit this place. Um, it is, is really stunning. Um, so, our guest today is Lianne Um She is from Australia uh, and moved to, oh, lived in Norway for 18 years now, educated in performing arts. Um, you know, she worked in creative and technical and management. She's one of the talented people that I know. Uh, we had this discussion beforehand and I'm like, wow, there's so many more things that's coming from her. So you, you're going to go through that today. She's been working for production companies, you know, culture houses as well as festivals. She also has audio dyslexia, um, which is something we're going to go through. Um, So, vocal languages has always been a challenge for her, particularly learning, you know, uh, Norwegian, which has been a slow process um, for her. Um, What we're going to talk about today is that, you know, she didn't expect that, you know, um, not understanding Norwegian, um, it could have that could have impacted. or would have impacted her relationship with her own children's um, and receiving the pressure from the norwegian health services um, you know to have her child socialize she ultimately lost her her kids to the norwegian language for several years and we're going to go through that um, a bit more in detail Um, so tell me (laughs) (laughs) how is it like just so that people understand you know how would you describe yourself and a little bit of your background um, you know, your childhood experience from Australia and
1: coming to here. Yeah. Um, so I um, found out that I had a problem with um, something I didn't, you know, with reading or hearing because of all the tests that I was going through when I was um, a kid, mm. but no one actually told me what it was mm. or what the tests were for. Um, so i i grew up in a world where um uh physicality and um things like dance and swimming and sports was very very important to me Mm -hmm. growing up and um so i'm a very active person and i um because of that i was very interested in theater uh, which is odd because a lot of people think that theater is about text and dialogue and Mm. reading and speaking but um you know my interest was more about the the physical physical theater and dance um installation art so everything that really didn't involve text i was into and so it's um so theater has been my passion throughout Mm. my whole life and it's my career now um theater performing arts and so then um I'm in Norway now mm. um, and I'm a, a mother mm. and um, I have been um, working in the arts in Norway um, for the last 18 years mm. uh, many different um, positions. Um, Capacities, creative, technical and management positions. Mm. Um, I do it all. I'm mm. a potato.
0: Yeah, she was describing that early on to me. I'm a potato. <laughs> what
1: Norwegians would call me a potato. Yeah. So um, I do lots of different things. And that's yep. one of the reasons why I've been able to survive in Norway mm. um, with work because I'm able to, you know, take different positions exactly. mm. in different creative um Environments.
0: Mm. So. I remember you also we, you know, also have to mention that um, you were very very close to joining the Sydney Olympics. So because <laughs> you were you were doing cricket and then you went into football and you were doing it at quite a high level. I I was.
1: Like. <laughs> I mean, w- we had about um, seven years to train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah. It was uh, it was this point I, I got onto um, the the squad, the training squad mm. for the um sydney olympics in Mm. 2000 so it was a very long time ago and um you know but i love dancing and it got to a point where i had to decide am i going to be a professional dancer or am i going to be a professional football player Mm. and um i decided dancing and if I knew I was going to move to Norway, I think I would have, you know, decided on football. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, I love dancing. Yeah, you know, it's um, for me, it's communication. It's mm. a language. Um, mm. And, um, you know, because of my background, um, it's um, been really important for me to be able to express myself. Mm.
0: And I think like that goes to the breadth of your talents. You know, you got all these talents behind you. And... Um, and it's also unfortunate because you know, we had this conversation before and uh, which is where the focus of the conversation today is how by not you learning uh, or your slow process of learning the Norwegian language and then you kind of lost your children to that language. Mm-hmm. So walk us through that journey when, you know, how did that happen? You yeah. know, because obviously I know but for the audience, you know, that starting point where things started to get worse. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, basically, you know, in my life plan, I never expected to have to learn a second language. You know, it wasn't in my plan at all. And I never expected to be living in Norway. Mm. So, um, from the start, learning Norwegian um, was difficult. Um, firstly, you know, deciding whether I was going to learn it, whether I was going to stay in Norway, whether it was um, because I knew it was going to be hard for me. Mm. Um, one of the things that made it quite difficult was um, when I was doing Norwegian courses with the government um, because I was so highly educated they thought I could learn it really really quickly and they were putting me in a lot of the advanced classes even though I was telling them I can't learn that fast, I can't learn language that fast Mm. and I was constantly repeating classes which they didn't like because Mm. they wanted me out of the system it was kind of like a progression they wanted right. to get me quickly out because that was a number but I insisted on con- on going back and repeating and repeating and repeating and I was mm. I would never get past a certain point mm. I'm not sure why um but you know I never got past a certain point mm. um and even to this day I think I'm still at that same level mm. there's just something that just doesn't click for me um so you know at home we spoke english mm. and one of the reasons is because you know i needed to i needed a full relationship with my partner mm. you know and he spoke english really well you know he he also did you know, English literature and linguistics mm. at university, So he was very competent um, mm. at English, even better than me, actually, mm. especially with <laughs> writing. He was much better with writing and speaking English, mm. um, which is ironic, yeah. isn't
0: it? But English is your mother tongue. So of, of course, it's very natural for you to speak English to your children, you know? It so. is, it
1: is. And it was one of the things where, um, so I sp- we spoke English at home so I could have a rest. I guess from mm. society, you know, always being challenged and always being in a space where I felt uncomfortable and where I didn't feel good enough. At least at home, I could feel good enough with communication and mm. I could feel comfortable and I could feel myself. Mm. So it was very important. So when I um, had children, mm. um, I had advice from a midwife. Um, which I loved. She was in Trumsa, I was in Tromsø at the time. And she said that speak English to your children so they get to know who you are. Mm. They'll get to know your personality, your humor, how you express yourself. And that connection um, will be very important to you. Mm. So I agreed with her. And that's what I did. You know, I became a stay at home mom. And I spoke English with my children. And I always felt that if I had children, then I wanted to raise them. Mm. That I wanted to be in their lives. And I wanted to be, you know, a central part of their upbringing. Mm. And that was important to me. Mm. Um, but then we moved to um, Alta, Finnmark. Mm. And um, my husband at the time, he was studying at the university there. He transferred. And... Um, so I took um, my kids. I had two. To um, I took my youngest one to a um, a checkup. Mm. You know, just the normal checkups that they have. And I was questioned about why they weren't in Barnhaga, mm-hmm. um, and the importance of Barnhaga for my children to be socialized in Norwegian society. And I explained to them that no, I prefer to be a stay at home mom, and they were concerned about their language development, and I wasn't. I wasn't concerned because mm. I knew that as soon as they went to um, school that their language would develop pretty quickly. And it wasn't that they had no Norwegian. They had family. Mm. Family was speaking Norwegian to them all the time. They had mm. great relationships with Norwegian family. and But we received a letter from the government from, mm. I, I think, that meeting, you know, kind of insisting that we socialize our children and put them into barnhaga, So the natural um, place for us to put them was into the barnhaga at the university. It was just convenient, they had spaces, they had places there, Mm. Um, so we did that. But unfortunately, they didn't have places in the Norwegian section. They only had places in the Sami section. So the agreement was that my kids will be in the Sami section until a place opened up for Mm. the Norwegian section. So my kids started to learn Sami rather than Norwegian. And there was times where they were speaking, you know, three languages in the same sentence. They were getting very confused. But when places were coming up in the Norwegian section, the excuse was, oh, but they've made friends and we don't want to move them from, Mm. you know, their friendships. So we'll keep them in the Sami section. So they stayed in the Sami section all the way through. Um, My first child did. And then we moved, and I put my um, my youngest into a Norwegian um, barnhaga, mm. speaking barnhaga. And because of this, apparently my oldest child has a, a weird dialect that no one can quite pinpoint. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, of course, when they went to school, um, the Norwegian government says that any child from that has an immigrant background or an immigrant parent must be taken out of class and given special Norwegian classes, Norwegian speaking classes. Even though, you know, like my my daughter, my eldest child Mm. was in grade two, she was speaking, she had Norwegian ability at a grade five level, Mm. but she was still taken out of class Mm. just because I'm an immigrant Mm. Um, and that you know it does something.
0: Mm. and I think I told you when we had that conversation with that that for me, that's pure discrimination already, yeah, you know, yeah. because it's like just because you know my 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 daughter, his her father is is you know a white Norwegian. So I would be offended. Mm. I knew for a fact that my daughter's gonna be fine with her Norwegian, just like you, you know, she has family members that speak Norwegian. I think in your case, the most ridiculous thing I thought and all this, I'm like, and still to, when you're saying them like, why yeah. <laughs> why 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 would you leave a child speaking psalmist where there's n- absolutely no one in the family yeah speaking psalmist right? That's, right that's right and yet somehow this kid comes back and you're like i don't know how you would feel but for me like if i if my daughter came back speaking a totally different alien language to yeah. me obviously you know if she had to meet another psalmist person they properly speak the language but yeah. she would not be able to communicate yeah. yeah and then you you ultimately feel that lost already yeah, yeah. And you, it's just like it's one ridiculous thing after another. Mm. And this excuse of the fact that you being a minority mother that somehow rubs the chance of her, his identity. Because yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember you explaining that to me and I felt like that was a really good way of th- thinking about it is, is how are they feeling? Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: I love the fact that she was learning the Sámi culture because, Mm. you know, we were in an area that had a lot of um, Sámi people and Finnmark is kind of known to be a, you Mm. know, a a Sámi filka basically. Mm. And I loved that. I loved that. Um, But, yeah, it was the language thing. And um, so for me, it basically got to a point where um, I knew that if my children went – and into Barnahaga or you know, started school, that there would be a language difference, that they would start taking off in Norwegian and start, you know, forgetting English a little bit or to use English and, mm. and I accepted that. I, I knew that there would be a transitional period. But what I didn't realize how much of um, how much I would lose them. Mm. I didn't realise that. I, I accepted a little bit. I knew that that would happen mm. as a natural process until they would really start to learn English in school because they learn English in school too. And mm. I knew that they were going to ace it. You know? <laughs> mm. But um, I didn't realise that them being, you know, being taught Norwegian um, actually made me lose them. And what would start to happen, um, we had a really different dynamic in our family that they actually started to lose their english and they started not to want to speak english so it means that when we were together um, we couldn't communicate because their english wasn't progressing because they weren't speaking it anymore Mm. but my norwegian had stopped so their norwegian was so much better than mine so what started to happen was that they started speaking to their father more which was fantastic but then they only started speaking to their father and their father started to become a translator between Mm. us so if my children needed anything they would go to him if they needed food if they needed questions if they wanted to talk about the world they would go to him when we were sitting at the dinner table if i would say something they would turn to him and they say what did mom say and then he would have to translate to them. Then they would speak to him, Mm. and he would tell me what they said. So it was very... It was like my husband turned into our translator. So when he wasn't there, it was quite difficult, Mm. you know. It was like, um, you know, to understand each other. It was quite difficult. We could understand the basic things. I knew how Mm. to, say, put your shoes on and come here and you know um, do you want to drink mm. I knew all those sorts of things mm. but in order to talk about um, who I am mm. and who they are mm. no. how they felt yeah. what their experiences were at school what their dreams were um, I didn't know mm. I didn't know my children that way mm. I knew them every day i saw them every day mm. i washed their clothes every day i made mm. their lunches i took them to school i took them to activities mm. but we didn't have that personal connection mm. because we didn't have the language mm. and um it was heartbreaking because it made me feel very alone Mm. in my own family mm. it made me feel very alone so when we would go visit Norwegian family they would see grandma and there you know they were able to communicate right and yeah, I felt jealous. Mm. I felt jealous that I didn't know my own children intimately. Mm. And it was very important for me, especially being an immigrant, where generally you don't know anybody intimately. You don't have friends. You have to create a new mm. social group, and it's exceptionally difficult. Mm. Um, of course, I knew my husband intimately, you know, personally, mm. his dreams and, you know, um, his ideas and how he um, saw the world. Mm. But... um but during that time, how
0: did you have a network already at the time? Is there someone that you were talking to about how you were feeling? What, you know, what were the steps you were, you did in, in that time yeah. of struggle? You know, who did yeah. you kind of unpack all this um, feelings to?
1: It's, it's very interesting. You know, like I find um, because I guess because I'm from an English speaking background, mm. I find um when we when I moved to a different country because I've done it before um, mm. that um, we don't get together we don't conjugate we don't mm. we um you know like up where I was like I would associate with the like in of the Brazilian community because mm. there weren't enough Australians you know not that we generally do that mm. so I was in the Brazilian community and I actually worked for No Siesta Fiesta you know they Latin American festival <laughs> up there and um, I love you know yeah. um, people from Latin America they mm. just it, we get each other mm. you know so and when I was in um, um, Finnmark you know in, in Ulta um, you know they have a, a fairly big Thai community what mm. I could cons- consider mm. big maybe 10 people <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was like still it wasn't you know I didn't speak their language as well you yeah, know right. their, their, their home language so yeah. I was still an outsider so even though I c- did connect with other internationals mm. I still didn't speak their home language mm. so it's kind of you still are an outsider yeah being an English speaker unless you find an English speaking community and <sighs> we don't tend to do that I think it's kind of weird we don't Tend to, like Australians don't tend to do that. I don't find an Australian community. We have an online community.
0: That's true. Yeah, but you we do. don't but, have yeah.
1: groups that we really.
0: Well, in Australia, I think like for my community, the Chinese community is so segregated. Mm. You know, obviously with you know, there's Hong Kongers and there is Mainland China, and China is so huge as well with many different um, cities within and province I don't really connect well with many other Chinese people. Because you know, when they look at me, they don't really consider me Chinese. Mm. you know uh, I'm called a banana because I'm, I'm born and bred in the UK. You know <sighs> I'm sort of white on the inside and yellow on the outside, that kind yeah. of thing. So I think it's as, as internationals, when you're mentioning that, I think we also mm. find it very difficult. you know We want to fit in certain community groups as well. you know, mm. you, you were trying out Thai, you were trying out Brazilian, and for me it's the Brits, but even when I'm with the Brits community, I feel like an outsider because mm. of my colour and because of my experiences. I don't like the banters that they have. It's just a slightly different mentality there. Mm. And I feel like I have moved away from the UK for such a long time that I'm no longer really feeling a huge connection with the UK, But there are some elements that I still remember in my childhood and my experience of you know schooling and, and all this kind of thing. And obviously the progr- uh, process there when it comes to racism and all that is, is brilliant. Um, the dialogues is a lot more vibrant than it is over here. But in itself, I think there is an isolation again. You know, like you're talking about the, the loneliness. Mm. And I think like that's something that even now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to sort of maneuver and navigate that emotion and not having to feel this isolation and loneliness. Mm. I don't know how you going through that because now you're in in oslo
1: you Mm. know do you feel like you have found a community here or um i well it it, it's interesting because um i'm one of these people that love all communities you know Mm. i go everywhere Mm. so i don't have just one right that i i go with and um the other thing too is i'm an introvert (laughs) so being with a group of people is very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer one on ones. Yeah. you know, I don't yeah. mind being one on one in a crowd. Right, but if I'm with a crowd, mm. I um, it's very, it's kind of not my thing. Mm. So.
0: But do you think you have enough, like, friends here? Where if you are stuck, if you're at your lowest,
1: that you can turn to them? Do you feel like you have those couple of people? And stuff? no. No. I don't. I don't, and um, you know it's, it's one of those things, um, and I don't have my Norwegian family anymore either mm. because I'm separated right. from my husband. Um, we're still great friends. Yeah. I think he's the one that I lean on most <laughs> <laughs> still. Yeah. Um, but I don't, um, because you know being an introvert as well you tend to only have, like, one major friend that you go to and, you Mm. know, a lifelong friend and that sort Mm. of thing. And um, so I have a lot of associates. Mm. I have a lot of um, work friends and connections and things like that. Mm. But if I'm in trouble, yeah, I'm on my own, Mm. basically. You know, so I need to be very careful Mm. of,
0: you know. Well, I hope you can turn to me (laughs) at least, okay, Liana. And I'm saying this is, like, I know exactly how that feels mm. because, you know, I don't know if you read about my reflection last year or whatever, but, you know, I can't tell people last year in the summer, you know, I was hit with such a severe depression and felt so much isolation. And I was going through a lot of different events that were accumulating and was hitting me mm. every side. And I just felt so confused and didn't know who, who to turn to at the time. And I did have people that I thought maybe I can call up. And I remember ringing the first time, no one picked up. Second time, no one ringed up. Yeah. Third time, get a, not a rejection. And I just sat there and I'm like going, I'm all on my own, you mm-hmm. know? And that was a time when I wanted to take my own life. And I was like, this is done, I'm mm-hmm. in pain, I, I can't do this alone anymore. And now that I have kind of come out of it from that stage, and there were people that I actually rang, and these are people that I, I really wished I didn't have to call, in honesty. I wish I had these other friends of mine. And I had to reevaluate my environment and the people that were around me. You know, Who can I really turn to? And I think like in the, in the past week that I've spoken to various different guest speakers is that we're very bad at opening our mouths, asking for help. And also sometimes we give up a bit too early, yeah. I think, sometimes, for me. so. What I want to say is that open up and mm. to me anyway, you know, and I hope that you can also lean on me, you know, if the time comes so bad that I really want you to pick up that call or anything like that to call me, you know, at least put me on my <laughs> list, the first one to to, to see and, uh, and uh, I will do the best. And I think like for me, I'm leaning on my team. You know, I, I'm very lucky that I did open up to my team here, and they have been supporting me during, you know, at least the past couple months or so that I feel very strongly, even after my operation, you know, when mm. I had my operation early this this month and, oh you know, this year, I was, I really didn't know who to turn to, honestly, and I think, like, after I posted it on my social media, people were very forceful, you know, mm. um, yeah. in wanting to help me, so. Yeah. Thank you. No, so. I'm very grateful <laughs> for that. It's nice no, to so. have someone. <laughs> I think we. I think people forget like how much we we do need each other. I think I don't know whether we got. I feel like we got bitten by the Norwegian bug sometimes yeah. to be yeah. really independent. Yeah. I feel like when I came here, like I was compared a lot with my. Norwegian grandmother you know like she's so independent mm. you know when she was pregnant she was riding the bike going so I'm mm. not like that yeah. you know I I had my family fall back on back in the UK and I think we forget that despite however independent you are mm. there are moments in your life that like again like your quality of life is based on your quality of relationship right the people that can be there for you yeah. and I think that is so important to 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 remember and I've been trying to say like if only we can be a bit more kinder to each other
1: and be having that that attention and compassion for each other. Yeah. So I yeah. think as internationals, we're so focused on making connections, but to survive in Norway, to get work, mm-hmm. basically. We forget, I think, a lot of times about the intimate, personal, mm-hmm. friendship connections. Right. Um, I think so. But, um, you know, one of the things that um, really helped with my situation Mm. with um, with my kids Mm. after losing them like I I lost them basically for about four to five years and then learning English at school wasn't enough basically for me to get them back Mm. Um, I actually took them back to Australia Mm. Um, when they were um, nine and seven I took them back to Australia and we were there for two months where they could only speak English because, you know, nobody mm. else spoke Norwegian apart from their dad. Yeah. But, um, you know, to be inclusive, you speak English because you don't want to, you know, um, exclude anybody by language. Right. And um, it did amazing things. Like they understood how English fit in the context of the world and our family Mm -hmm. and with me Mm -hmm. they understood who i was um and so it was the best thing ever taking them back to australia you know just for Mm -hmm. two months Mm -hmm. because after that their english was amazing Mm -hmm. it was like they they learned to appreciate English. And I always felt that was the one thing that I could really give them to help them in the world because English is important to be an international, Mm. to be a citizen of the world. English is really important. Mm. It's just the way the cards have fallen. Mm. It could have been any language. Mm. you know. It could have been French but it just happens to be English the language that I speak. So it was the one thing that I could give them Mm. that I felt was of value Mm. and um, when they weren't using it that was disheartening. Yeah. But as soon as we went to Australia and they got to use the thing that I could give them, mm. um, it was amazing. And then when we got back, um, we started learning about it, each other again. I started to know them mm. about their dreams and we could have amazing conversations, mm. you know, um, about who they are and what they're into and what's happening at school and um, just learning how they think,
0: mm. you know. Having that connection back with them, do you yeah. st- do you still have that strong connection with them now? You know, or, yeah, or do you well, feel like they're <laughs> teenagers?
1: I'm cool because I'm a parent now. But, you know, but the thing is, is that they can tell me what they really think. Right. They don't have to select really basic words and say, "I'm hungry," "I'm thirsty." Mm. They can actually tell me how they're feeling, mm. what they're thinking and what they're discovering about themselves, Mm. their fears, Mm. um, their joy, um, and they could express it in such a way Mm -hmm. that is very complex. Mm. Um, So I don't misunderstand them. And that was a huge thing. I was always misunderstanding them. Mm. I always had to learn how to jump to conclusions, to presume things all the time. Mm. And I don't like doing that. No. I don't like presuming what somebody is thinking and feeling. And you have to do that a lot as an international. Yeah, When you're in a you know country where you don't speak yeah. the language, you have to always jump to conclusions yeah. of how people are thinking and feeling yeah. and have to look at all the signs, yeah. you know. Um, and it's not very easy but now I don't have to right they can tell me exactly what they want and exactly how they feel Mm. and I
0: understand it Mm. and I think like this misunderstanding and we we spoke a little bit about this before as well that you know because I know like you experienced some racism you know episodes here yeah and obviously when people assume you being an international and you're you're white in your skin that you fit in sort of perfectly that you don't experience the things like people like me with my skin color or someone who's black you know but it was extraordinary for me to hear that to to hear that the Extent of racism you also experience, you know. Yeah, um, and when it comes to like this language, sometimes you're like there was an episode where you you were hearing a Norwegian saying something, Mm -hmm. um, in the the lift and you weren't really you wanted to spend sure, and it was something similar to experience for me when I was on the bus with my daughter when we got stopped by you know a, a white Norwegian, so um. Tell me about that story again, you know, when you were at that the, the lift. And... Yeah,
1: th- I mean, I, there's that was just one yeah. instance, but I've had so many different instances mm. where um, because I'm white, mm. um, a lot of Norwegians think that I'm just Norwegian mm. until I start speaking. Mm. And then it's almost like I, th- they take it for granted that I'm just Norwegian and then I hit that point on mm. the second level of, mm. oh, she's a foreigner kind <laughs> of thing, you know. Mm. So I get away with a lot if I don't speak, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, so there's so many different instances but you know one that I, I just mentioned earlier with you was you know I was standing at the back in the left and there was um, an elderly Norwegian lady at the front and she pushed the button the doors were closing and um, a Nigerian lady because I know because of um, what she was wearing a Nigerian lady with a pram wanted to get on she just missed and the Norwegian um, woman said well I'm glad she didn't get on Mm. And it's one of these things where, um, one, my Norwegian wasn't good enough to say anything and I wasn't sure that I caught it right, but I know that I did. Mm. I, I felt it as one mm. of those things where you sense. And um, at that time, I wasn't that good in Norwegian. It was like the first year mm. that I was actually in Norway. But that was one of the first instances of where I actually experienced that kind of racism and I'm at a, um, sometimes you know when you're in a different country it's difficult to speak up because one because of my my language mm. but one if I spoke English to her I don't think she would have understood because I'm not sure that right. she was you know was able to understand my English but um, it's, it's difficult in terms of did I catch that did I hear it especially because of my I've got audio, audio processing audio. disorder, which mm. is a type of dyslexia where I, I misunderstand sounds. Mm. Um, so that's, that's difficult because mm. if I do say something, I'm not sure whether I actually heard it right in the first place. Mm. You know, to ask them about it. Did you actually say say that? that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's been instances where, you know, um, violent instances where I've been bailed up by Norwegians. Like there was one time where um, I got cornered at a university actually by, you know, it it was closed, but it was two Norwegians with a dog and they were yelling profanities at me and to go home and that I'm not wanted and that, you know, it's like... Mm. um, you know, and it was interesting because I had never experienced that before. Mm. and you know and and I know that um, I'm lucky because of the color of my skin, mm. that I don't experience that that often. Mm. Um, but you know I so I can understand how hard it is for um, people. don't look like me people Mm. who aren't white Mm. what they would go through because they get the front line of it Mm. i get the second line Mm. but they get the front line Mm. and um you know i'm at a point where i won't stand for it anymore no i can't yeah you know um i um so it's you know i see it a lot Mm. a lot but i also see it with you know i i'm in the lgbtq plus community as well Mm. and i see it a lot and so i stand up where i can Mm. but i can only do it in english (laughs) (laughs) for some reason i think speaking in english makes it sound more angry (laughs) (laughs) you know i i you know because i i can't yeah i can't think fast enough in norwegian i can say little things in norwegian but i can't think fast enough Mm. i can't feel in norwegian Yeah. yeah you know and in those instances you need to feel you know, of course, you need to use your intellect, but yeah. my Norwegian isn't fast enough, mm. isn't good enough mm. to be. I don't have the vocabulary and I can't mm. remember. Mm. I forget the sounds mm. of words. And even though I can see them in, in my head, mm. I don't know how to create the sounds mm. in order to express what I really want to say, mm. to stick up for myself, to stick up for other people.
0: Mm. But I think it's, it's a very common, um, you know, response many of those that i know yeah. like even for me most people think i speak fluent norwegian but i do struggle mm-hmm. you know it's not that i don't and as soon as i speak norwegian you can hear the very thick british accent yeah. but this is but it's, it's kind of interesting because my accent is also a bit americanized as well but anyway um another story so so the, the the key thing is is like what i what i often hear is that um in these instances they're not able to speak up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and defend themselves. Yeah. And I often, which is also one of the reasons why I stopped writing too much in Norwegian, you know, mm-hmm. in articles or even try, because like when I try to defend myself, it's almost hard. Yeah. Um, but I'm very thankful that the very last piece that I did write um, last year in Uthrup, that I actually saw some of my Norwegian friends and also those um, advocates, they were they were replying for me in Norwegian, mm-hmm. fighting back for my behalf. Yeah. But I think like, how many times do we have to go around with this burden in our hearts, so heavy, you know, and yeah. not being able to fight back and saying it. Yeah. And I think, like, I think it's a good thing to kind mm-hmm. of respond back in English, yeah. you know, yeah. just to kind of express that, even if they didn't understand it, but you're getting it out. Yeah. And I think, like, particularly when you get those incidents, instances and you kind of record that in English, mm-hmm. which is one yeah. of the reasons why I am so forceful in doing all these podcasts and interviews in, in English for a reason. Yeah. You can't hide, Yeah, right? Yeah. Because like is it, like you said English is an international language you mm. can't hide yeah. whereas the Norwegian how many people really know the Norwegian language yeah. maybe what five million in around you know the world yeah. but English is so beyond borders
1: yeah
0: that it's not just people here immigrants knowing about it all the Norwegians mm. but outside of Norway that also yeah. you know
1: do yeah. so and that's one of the the interesting things like for me and my family like I've always felt guilty for not knowing Norwegian. Mm. Because it's one of these things of people think that you are disrespecting Norway and Norwegians for not learning their language and things Mm. like that. And, you know, when you can't Mm. and people think that you're being disrespectful because you can't, Mm. it's like not standing for a national anthem because you're in a wheelchair. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, um, so, but the thing is, they can't see it. They think, oh, you've got degrees and you've had all this education and you can do all this amazing stuff and you have this career. Mm. And it's like, the only reason is, is because I'm a overachiever. Mm-hmm. I know my mm. incapability, so I work so much harder than anybody else. Mm. I work twice as long. Mm. I try so much harder. I, mm. you know, like when I was at university, I was actually doing three university degrees. Wow. At the same time, I was at uh, I was at the University of Melbourne doing mm. full time. I was at the Deakin University doing part time, and I was also at um a, a college doing writing at night, doing a um part time writing course at night, wow. because I felt inadequate mm. that I wasn't doing enough to compensate for my lack of communication, mm. and um so you always feel I always feel guilty. Mm. that I'm not respecting Norwegians Mm. and I don't know how to make it up to them Mm. to say, I am sorry. I I don't know how to make it up to you. I don't Mm. know how to show you that I do respect you. I do love your country. I do love your culture. Mm. I want to be here Mm. and I'm trying my hardest Mm. to give Norway value. Mm. I'm trying my hardest to give to Norway. Mm. And mm. I just can't do it with language. Mm. I can do it with everything else. I have given so many hours of. I, I work as a volunteer for all these festivals. Mm. I I help people out. I work as a volunteer for you know helping people out in need and things like that. I, mm. I give so much, mm. but it still it feels not enough just because I don't speak the language. Mm. And um, you know, it's one of these things that I feel guilty that I don't get to know my children in Norwegian mm. because sometimes when you have two different languages it's not that you have split personalities mm. you have a slightly different kind of persona I guess mm. because of the the language that you use mm. you know and, and it's an understanding of the the different cultures
0: as well yeah and I want to tell you you're amazing Leona <laughs> honestly when I sit here and I and I've spoken to you so many different times you know with our conversation you're so insightful and I think you are extremely, extremely, what's the word? Um, talented and with so much grit and tenacity that I, I sort of see myself in you, you know, because of you not being able to communicate. And it was the same thing with me that how I learned English, which is why I have this American accent. I learned English through watching American TV series. Mm-hmm. And I think because we've gone through that process, that lacking it gives us a certain different amount of understanding probably beyond anyone who had that privilege mm. to communicate in the way that other people can that is normal for them but we see another side and mm. this is where I think that's your strongness and I don't think it's a weakness and I think it's a strongness and I think in Norway there is a habit of not understanding that diversity mm. the talent that goes into it and they're only seeing the above of the iceberg. You know, there's so much that was underneath here, where you struggled and you mm. keep building up. You know, to get to where you are today. Mm. And I hope you don't um, feel like you don't that Norway doesn't deserve you. I, I think like Norway is creating a mold for people to fit in, and that mold had to be broken. Mm. You know, to accept everyone differently. That everyone's will come. You know, in their different flavors and so forth. Mm. And even for me, like, I also often ask, it's like, am I worthless just because I don't speak the Norwegian language, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah.
0: And I don't think I am. It's just mm-hmm. the fact that, but I am saying that I don't want to fit in to Norway. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to still be me. I want to be free and I still want to be able to carve a path that opens up for everyone else, too. Mm. And yeah. I think that's what you're trying to do with all your work. I, I see it, you know, I've, I've seen you do all these theatre works and you put your spin on it, and I think it's a fantastic. You know, it's, it's really eye-opening. And I hope that people will listen to your story today and understand about your talent and your strength and just your creativity, you know. Erica. Thank you. <laughs> I so <laughs> appreciate your words.
1: <laughs> and, you know, it's a great compliment that, you mm. you know, when you said that you see a bit of yourself in mm. me that's an amazing compliment mm. and uh, one we made a joke i made a joke before <laughs> that um you know if if norways language if norwegian was ballet i would ace it you know, I, <laughs> exactly I speak 23 exactly. different dance languages <laughs> yeah. if if dance yeah. was the norwegian language you yeah. know i could probably speak better than a lot of norwegians <laughs> i think you would so. i think you would yeah
0: um Liana, thank
1: you so much for coming on
0: and um you know, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope that, you know, people who listen to this are, are going to also see a part of themselves in you too, just like I have. Um, what would your, you know, to end this conversation? What is your takeaway message? It could either be for the internationals coming over here or the Norwegian public.
1: Yeah. I think the thing is, is. Um to value yourself and what you bring and that um, you need to be smart about what you can and can't do and accept what you can and can't do and I think that's what will give you peace and even though um, it's difficult in Norway it's worth it you know nothing you know if it was easy, you know everybody would be doing it. Mm. I, you know, I'm. I think I'm the last one standing from my immigrant course, my immigrant language course. And um, one of the things that internationals pride themselves on is resilience. But I know that it's because of immigrants like you, Carmen, that inspire me, give me inspiration and support. And even though I don't have that nucleus, (laughs) you know, it's um, inspiring watching other internationals make it and share their stories. Um, And that's the thing that has kept me going. And I think um, knowing your own personal value is the most important thing that whatever happens and whatever society tells you who you are and how they see you, mm. if you know your own personal value, mm. you can overcome those challenges. It takes time to, um, to live in Norway. Mm. It takes commitment to live in Norway and to know that it's going to be really, really hard But if you know your own value, Mm. I think that's the best. And that's the thing that will keep you strong. Mm. That's really beautiful.
0: Beautifully said. Mm. Thanks so much again. And uh, we'll end there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I want to give you
1: a a hug. Okay.